Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Please open your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. Verses 16 and 17. If you have your Bible, you can follow along or you can look up on the screen behind me. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. This is the word of the Lord. Today is Pentecost Sunday, as Jody told us. It's the Sunday in the church calendar when we remember that God has poured out his Holy Spirit on his people. We remember that Jesus promised, I will not leave you as orphans. We remember that Jesus kept his promise to send the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. And we need to remember God's gift of the Holy Spirit. Not just one day a year, we need to remember God's gift of the Holy Spirit every day. We need to remember the Holy Spirit because we practically ignore him. And I mean exactly that. We practically ignore him. In our practice, we ignore him. In the actual living out of the details and the struggles of our lives, we live as if there is no such person as the Holy Spirit. For most of us in this church, and in the church worlds that most of us come from, the only time the person of the Holy Spirit comes to mind is when we are reacting against some abuse or some extreme that we see in some other church or tradition. We see the Holy Spirit as something to guard against because after all, we are respectable. Other than that, we have no practical knowledge of the Holy Spirit. We sing the doxology every Sunday Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But more often than than not, those are just words, and those are weird words. We don't believe in ghosts. What's that? Holy Ghost? That's weird. It's just something weird. But practically speaking, we are just, just as bad as the people in the city of Ephesus that we read about in Acts chapter 19. The Apostle Paul comes across some disciples and he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, what? We didn't even know there was such a thing as the Holy Spirit. Now we're not, we're not quite that bad, but close. At least practically speaking, 
Now, if you disagree with me or if you don't believe me, ask yourself this question. When was the last time that anything happened in your life that could only be explained by the supernatural, divine power of God, the Holy Spirit? Now, I'm not really talking about things like being healed or speaking in tongues or things like that. Those things are certainly, can certainly be the direct and supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, and we should ask for those kinds of things and seek after them and not despise them. As long as we want them for the glory of God and the good of his kingdom. But I'm thinking of more of things like this. Loving your enemies. Being joyful when you're exhausted. Having peace in the middle of tragedy. Being patient when you were wronged. Being kind to people who hate you. Being good to people who do not deserve it. Being faithful when you don't feel like it. Being gentle when your kids are driving you crazy. Being self-controlled when you're tired or stressed. Are those kinds of things commonplace in your life? And can you do any of them on your own? Now, there's a lot that you can do on your own. Think about all the kinds of things you can do on your own. Can you come to church on your own without the Holy Spirit? Can you give money to the church without the Holy Spirit? Can you dress modestly without the help of the Holy Spirit? Can you have well-behaved kids without the help of the Holy Spirit? Can you be nice without the help of the Holy Spirit? Can you be a hard-working, responsible man without the help of the Holy Spirit? Yes, you can do all of that without the help of the Holy Spirit. You can do all of that and have the power and the motivation for all of it come from nothing but fear and pride. If you don't believe me, just look around. Look at a, a good Buddhist or a good Muslim or a good Mormon or just simply a good old-fashioned, hard-working Midwestern farmer. And you'll see all those kinds of things. But can you love your enemies? Can you control your tongue? Can you be filled with lasting peace and joy? Can you really put your sin to death? Not because you're afraid of what might happen or afraid of what people might think of you, but because you love God. Can you do that without the Holy Spirit? Never. You can do a lot that looks good and is very helpful for getting along in your home, getting along in outside in the world, getting along in the church. But all of it can be explained without any supernatural power or motivation at all. So do you have any practical experience of the Holy Spirit working, working in you. 
Do you rely on Him daily for the desire and the ability to obey God? Do you rely on Him daily for Him to show you your sin? Do you have any sense of His power working in you to enable you to kill your pride and your selfishness and your lust? Do you have any sense of Him not as a force, but as a person? who is himself fighting inside of you, for you, against you, changing what you actually want and love and hope in. Do you know the Holy Spirit? Or are we too sophisticated for that? Too American for that? Too rational, too middle class, too white, too intellectual, too safe, too proud, too reformed? Brothers and sisters, our failing struggles with sin, our coldness of heart, our fearfulness, our joylessness, our formalism, our dullness and dryness, it all comes from our willful ignorance of the Holy Spirit practically. So as I said, we need to remember God's gift of the Holy Spirit because we practically ignore him. And the ironic thing is that when we read the Bible and see what the Holy Spirit actually does in the life of a Christian, it's all practical. Or it has very practical results. The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a Christian is all about living the details of your life by the power and presence and person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one person of the Trinity who is here with us in a unique way. Now, of course, we know that God is omnipresent. God, all of God, is in all places at all times. We know that's true. And we know that what Jesus said right before he ascended to God's right hand. He said, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But there's something particular, there's something unique, there's even something new going on with the coming of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. That is what Pentecost is all about. It's about the Holy Spirit being poured out in a new way. And that outpouring of the Holy Spirit depended on Jesus leaving, Jesus going away. Jesus said to his disciples in John 16, 7, But I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus really did go away. And the Holy Spirit really did come. Jesus sent him. And now, the Holy Spirit is here. He is with us. He is in his people. He is among us. He is here. And no matter how much we talk about God, no matter how much we talk about honoring God, or loving God, or fearing God, or knowing God, if we ignore the Holy Spirit, or if we are ignorant of him, or even suspicious of him, 
then we cut ourselves off from fellowship with God by definition. To ignore the Holy Spirit is to ignore God. To ignore the Holy Spirit is to ignore the presence of God with his people right now. And therefore, to ignore the Holy Spirit is to make our obedience to God completely impossible. What does having the Holy Spirit have to do with our obedience to God? What's the connection between the Holy Spirit and our obedience? It has everything to do with our obedience. The Holy Spirit enables us to keep the law of God. Remember what the prophet Ezekiel says, Ezekiel 36, talking about our day when the Holy Spirit has come. He says, this is God speaking, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and what? Cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's why God gave the Holy Spirit to us, to make us obey the law. The Feast of Pentecost, Jody told us this in the first service, but I don't think he did in the second, is the Greek word for what the, the Jews did. It's a Jewish feast, the Feast of Weeks. In the Feast of Weeks, one of the things that it celebrates is the giving of the law of God. Think about that. God gives his law on this day. And then what does he do? Then he gives the Holy Spirit on this day too. Why? We have to have the Holy Spirit to obey the law. And the Holy Spirit causes us to obey the law. What else does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit enables us to put our sin to death. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Holy Spirit enables us to have righteousness, joy, and peace. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us to have hope. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. The Holy Spirit progressively sanctifies us, makes us holy, makes us look like Jesus as he bears his fruit in us. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no progressive sanctification. There is no practical obedience. There is no law-keeping without the transforming, enabling, strengthening, purifying power of the Holy Spirit. And yet we wonder... We wonder about our powerlessness. We wonder about our deadness. 
we wonder about our failure to grow, it's no wonder at all. It's no mystery. It's no wonder at all. We are ignorant of the person who is our only hope for power and life and growth. And you know what? I, for one, like it that way. I'm convinced that I actually cultivate ignorance of the Holy Spirit. It's very convenient for me to claim ignorance of the Holy Spirit, the one who will make me holy. It suits my purposes just fine. Very convenient indeed for me to cut myself off from the one who enables me to keep the law. Who enables me to kill my sin, enables me to have righteousness and peace and joy and hope. It's very convenient for me to cut off contact with the one who fully intends to change me. To stiff arm the one who fights against my flesh to keep me from doing the things that I want to do. Suits my purposes just fine. This brings us back to Roman, or Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Look at what it says. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Now this passage is very simple. It contains one command with a promise attached for those who obey the command. Everything else in here supports and amplifies this one command and the promise that rests on obeying it. What's the command? The command is the first part of verse 16. But I say walk by the spirit. And the promise for those who obey this command is in the second part of verse 16. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. In other words, if you obey the command, if you walk by the Spirit, then you will know the reality of the promise. You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now what a magnificent promise that is. Think of that promise. Do you ever feel hopeless in the face of your sin? Yes. Do you look at yourself and think, I will never be able to change? Yes. Do you feel powerless against the self-centered desires of your flesh? Yes. We do. What are you going to do about it? What is your hope for changing? Do you have any hope for changing? I read uh, an article by the editor of the magazine, Christianity Today, read it last week, where he says, you know what, I've been a Christian for 30 years, something like that, and the one thing I've learned being a Christian for 30 years is that I really don't have any hope for obedience to God. Boy, isn't that convenient. If, if that's true, 
if we should expect no hope for obedience to God, what in the world does this mean? What does it mean? Does it mean anything? Oh, it means something. Galatians 5.16 tells us what our only hope for changing is. God gives us a promise. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of, our, of your flesh. So there's hope. There is hope for radical, fundamental, lasting change. And the only hope for lasting change in the details of everyday life is to walk by the Spirit. So then the great question for us is, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Is this some kind of mystical experience, some kind of, you know, lightning from heaven, some kind of zap that shoots you off into space where it's easy, where there is no fight, where obedience to God just comes naturally, no big deal, just, is it some kind of warm spiritual feeling, some kind of experience? Should you be hearing a voice telling you what to do, what not to do, how to do it, what socks to wear? I mean, what is this? No. The answer, very simply, is this. Whatever you do, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? It means whatever you do in the details of your life, do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let the conduct of the daily mundane details of your life be governed and controlled and enlivened by the power and the purity of the Holy Spirit. This isn't talking about grand, magnificent flashes of glorious obedience. This is talking about changing the diapers, taking out the trash, talking to one another around the table. What do you do in traffic? This is about what you do on the internet. What do you do just with your thoughts? Daily, mundane, boring, normal stuff. Let the conduct of the daily, mundane details of your life be governed and controlled and enlivened by the power and the purity of the Holy Spirit. And God prom- God's promise is that if you do, if you live by the guidance and the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. Now, what does that actually mean? What does it actually mean to live your life by the guidance and power and direction of the Holy Spirit? How do you get your hands around that? Look at the word he uses in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Literally, we could translate this as walk by means of the Spirit. What does it mean by walk? That word walk is just the normal word that you would use for how you got into the building this morning. You, most of you, walked. That's the word. It's, it's just this a boring word, walk. It's the word for walking around on the earth. Paul uses that word all the time as a figure of speech for living out the daily routine of life. He's talking about going around the daily grind, the daily cycles of your life, rest, work, 
study, play, eating, interacting with one another, going to bed at night, all the stuff that you do. That's what he's talking about. And so he says, walk. Go about the daily routine of of your life, day after day, year after year, by means of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It simply means that you need to live out your life in constant, conscious dependence on the power of the Holy Spirit to make you live as a child of God. To enable you to keep his law. It means to be aware of your inability and your weakness. And that's where it has to start. Before you can have the power of the Holy Spirit, before you can walk by the Spirit, you have to know, I can't love my enemies. I can't have joy. I can't have peace. I'm not patient. I'm not faithful. I'm not kind. I'm not good. I'm not self-controlled. That's where it has to start. You're right. We can't do any of those things. That's why the Holy Spirit has to do them in us. Be aware of your inability and your weakness. Cultivate your awareness of your inability and weakness. It means to know that you can't do anything along the lines of real obedience to God apart from the Holy Spirit's help. It means that the Holy Spirit is your walker. There's a walker right there. Aunt Margaret. It's a kind of an embarrassing thing to have to use, isn't it? It's a tool, and you can't walk without it, right? And we've all known others. Connie, when you had your knee replaced, you had to use a walker. So what does it mean? What is a walker? Walk by means of, right, the Holy Spirit. You can't do it by yourself. You need something else. That's what... That's what this means. Cultivate your awareness of your inability. You lean on him so that you can walk. This is embarrassing for us to acknowledge that we need the help of the Holy Spirit. That's why we don't want to do it. Lean on him so that you can live your life in real obedience to God. Now, how does that work? How does walking by the power of the Holy Spirit enable you to say no to the desire of your flesh? This is what verse 17 tells us. What is the first word of verse 17? For. So he tells us something in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Now he's going to tell us how that works. Right? Verse 17. For. Here's the explanation. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. There is a war. There is a conflict. There is a struggle. And the struggle happens inside every Christian. And the conflict is always fought on the battleground of your desires. What do you want? 
We always do what we want. That explains everything. And if you're going to change, it has to change at the level of what you want. And this is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. The flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another. Now every Christian in this room knows exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Right? Every one of us knows exactly what this is. Christian life is always a life of internal conflict. This internal conflict is normal. When you experience an internal tug of war between what your self-centered flesh wants and what the God-centered Holy Spirit wants, don't be dismayed or discouraged by that. You are living in the midst of that conflict, the normal Christian life. That's what the normal Christian life is. Not the absence of the conflict, but the presence of the conflict. It's what it means to be a Christian. And you will never get beyond this internal conflict. Do not hope for the day in this life when that conflict is gone. Because if it's gone, then you're spiritually dead. As long as you live on this earth, in this sinful world that is not yet fully redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, you will know what it is to have the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Holy Spirit duking it out inside of you. Every last one of us who is a true Christian experiences this internal struggle. The only people here today who do not know this struggle firsthand are those who do not have the Holy Spirit. In other words, the only people here who do not know this struggle firsthand are those who are not true Christians. This is what must be true of you if you're a Christian. There's a fight. And so if you can coast through your life with no sense of inner conflict between you, between what you so often want and do, and what you know, on the other hand, you should do, then you're spiritually dead. And you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living in you and changing you and empowering you and opposing your self-centered desires. Think about this. If you can sin without a blink, if you can live in constant patterns of unrepentant sin and rebellion against God, if you can self-consciously choose to sin without a second thought, without compunction of conscience, then it's very likely that you don't have the Holy Spirit in you And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are not a Christian. No matter how you grew up, no matter what happened, who knows when, if you don't have any sense of that conflict, it's because you don't have the conflict. And if you don't have the conflict, you don't have the Holy Spirit. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're not a Christian. And you need to come to Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5.17 that the normal Christian experience is one where the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are in opposition to one another. Now think about this. Even though we may not think so at first, this is very good news for us. 
This conflict is very good news. Why is this good news? Why does Paul use this fact of this internal warfare between the desires of your flesh and the desires of, your Holy, of the Holy Spirit to encourage us? Why does he use the reality of this struggle to prove what he said in verse 16? Remember what he said in verse 16? Walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, and here's the proof, verse 17. How is this the proof? The answer is at the last part of verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. Why? What? So that you may not do the things that you please. The whole purpose of your constant internal struggle between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Holy Spirit is so that you may not do the things that you please. Now, what do you first think when you hear those words, when you read them? This is what I used to first think when I would read these words. I used to think, you know, that's a hopeless struggle then, isn't it? I want to do what is right, but I can't because the desires of my flesh always went out. And I can't do the good things that I want to do. What a bummer. But that's the exact opposite of what he's saying. The whole point of this verse is to prove what he says in verse 16. If you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So what he says here at the end of verse 17 validates and proves the promise of 16. He is saying one of the reasons that You will not gratify the desires of the flesh if you are walking by the Spirit. Is that the Holy Spirit and the flesh are always opposed to each other, but the Holy Spirit will win. He will win. That's why it's true that if you walk by the Spirit, you won't carry out the desire of the flesh. It's the only reason it's true. The Holy Spirit will, in you, will keep you from doing the bad things that your flesh wants to do. That's why verse 17 is such wonderful news. If you're, if, if you're a Christian, there is wonderful hope for you. You do not face the battle against the desires of your flesh alone. The Holy Spirit of God, think of this. The Holy Spirit of God. the third person of the Godhead, the sovereign, all-powerful spirit who made the world, who took your dead, stony heart and made you alive again. He is at work in you. And he is at work in you in order to fight against your self-centered, rebellious flesh. Who do you think will win? Do you think that your flesh is too strong for the sovereign spirit of the living God? Well, no wonder he's not working in you. 
No. His spirit is more than a match for your flesh and mine. He does not just come to fight against your flesh. He comes to win. He comes to win. Remember Ezekiel? I will put my spirit in you and what? Suggest that perhaps you might think about walking in my statutes? What did it say? Cause you. Cause you. to walk in my statutes, and to be careful to obey my rules. And that is why Paul can promise us in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. And so, brothers and sisters, if we are Christians, if we know the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit, if we claim to belong to Jesus Christ, what does Pentecost say to us? Live like it. Live like it by embracing and longing for and wanting and seeking and cultivating the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. He's given us this wonderful promise, but the promise only applies to those who obey the command. If you stiff-arm the Holy Spirit, you will carry out the desire of the flesh, and there's nothing you can do about it. And if you don't think you need the Holy Spirit in order to obey God, you will carry out the desire of the flesh and there's nothing you can do about it. If you live as if you can obey God on your own, that you're not that bad, that obedience to God is not that big of a deal, it's easy, it's just, you know, I'm a nice guy. You don't know the law of God. You don't know the gospel either. And you don't know the Holy Spirit because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So come to Jesus. Come to Jesus Christ. He gives the Holy Spirit without measure. He is powerful and kind, full of grace and mercy, and He is willing and able to save you from your sin no matter what it is. Willing, able, powerful Savior is Jesus Christ our Lord. So come to him. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. You've given us your word, you've given us your Holy Spirit. You've given us the forgiveness of our sins. You've given us new life through the blood and work of our Lord Jesus Christ that is free for all of us who take it. So, Lord, I pray that all of us here would take it, would humble ourselves before you, acknowledge our weakness, our impotence, our powerlessness, our hopelessness, that we would cling to Jesus Christ, repent of our sins, and know the work of the Holy Spirit. Please come, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.